Hello and welcome to the Right for Your Life podcast. I'm Ian Broom in sunny Sheffield in the north of England. And I'm Donna Sorensen in even sunnier, I bet, Copenhagen in Denmark in Scandinavia. Excellent geography from the both of us. Um, I'm not going to dispute the weather. What are we talking about today? We will be talking this week about um, various things as usual, a couple of articles, maybe some some news that you've just heard that might be interesting to our listeners. And um, I believe we're going to talk about how self-deprecating we both are. Yes, we are. We've had um, a regular listener, I, I dare say fan of the show. I don't know if that's stretching it a bit too much. It might be. I'm sure they can let us know if that's too Stop much. Stop it, you're off you're starting already. <laughs> I am, aren't I? See, that's it. This is the problem, naturally kind of uh, self-deprecating. But anyway, um, an, a, a series of tweets from um, someone who listens to the show, who I'll talk about later, led us to think it would be a good topic to talk about and to assess whether, I guess, initially whether we are too self-deprecating about our books, because we do refer to our separate books on occasion on this podcast, probably every podcast at some point, um, and uh, whether we talk about them too negatively, whether we need to be more proud about it. And of course, we will extrapolate that into a wider discussion about confidence in writing and um, and how you portray yourself and your writing. And that can be at any point in the writing process, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I, I don't know about you, Donna, but it seems to me that we've we've had. I don't think you've ever called me Donna before. Have I have I got the wrong name? <laughs> no, it's just I really I was extremely specific. You don't normally say that. It just I suppose. Me off. I suppose there isn't anyone else that I'm talking to. But anyway, no. um, yes, Donna. Hello. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you've thought the same, but we've had we've had people say nice things about the podcast more than we probably did before. <laughs> Is this your attempt to not be self-deprecating? That's that's awful. You mean, do you think that more people are listening and more people are enjoying our show? Is that what you're trying to say? I wouldn't go as far to say that, but I would say that a few people (laughs) have got in touch to say that they've enjoyed the show. And what I would like to do is encourage other people to do the same. Right. Yes. Absolutely. But not, but not just, uh, not just to uh, say, oh, you know, I like the show, that type of thing, which is what we have received. But also suggestions for topics and listeners' questions and lo- you know, any kind of feedback on the on the show whatsoever is is very welcome, and um, we'll definitely take it on board. But if you do just want to say, you know, I enjoyed that, that's fine too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So the, what I wanted to talk about is happening right now. This is breaking news apart from the fact that this podcast will not go out until thursday and today is wednesday however breaking news in the world right now as i sit and talk is that amazon have launched from the death star um the first ever amazon phone (laughs) mobile phone it's uh it's I i know it's big big stuff all the big stuff i mean it's quite big stuff but let's still do the whistle anyway um, live from Amazon's amazing new device event. I mean, that's what I'm reading. It's right in front of me. Um, and there are a couple of things that need talking about or mentioning um, uh, about this, partly because we've kind of talked about Amazon a little bit over the last few weeks. And we have, I think we've almost, uh, I think we've given quite a balanced view of of whether Amazon are big, horrible and evil or whether it's just an, the natural course of capitalism, I think, is the kind of way that we've tried to look at it. Mm. Um, but the reason that this is, uh, that Amazon, I think, are kind of retreating further and further towards the Death Star is uh, a couple of features on this new phone. So this is called, um, what's it called? It's called Fire Phone. I don't know if that's going to be Amazon Fire Phone or just Fire Phone. Of course, the Amazon tablets are called the Kindle Fire, but there doesn't seem to be any mention of the word Kindle here. So this is not like a small e-reader or anything like that. Um, But there are a couple of things um, that I thought were quite interesting. There's one feature in the phone that I didn't even know existed um, in in I think the Kindle or certainly the Kindle Fire and that's this whisper sync voice I didn't realise that there was a feature which is now part of this new phone that allows you to switch between I guess the text or you reading a book and listening to a book Um, Mm, Okay. 
so that's quite an interesting thing in itself. I don't know whether we're being massively out of date to even bring that up, and it's been around for a while, but I don't have a Kindle Fire, so I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah, and you're talking directly to somebody who has never read a book um, on an e-reader before. You've never read a book on a, an e-reader at all? No. Well, let's scrap whatever we were going to talk about and talk about that. <laughs> Why? Well, I asked you the same question. I'm, 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 it's not, I mean, I, I like books. I like the smell of them. I like the way they look. Um, I like lugging them around in my suitcase when I go places. I like getting sand in them. I once lent a book that was very dear to me to somebody who never gave it back. And that was a book that I'd read on a beach on my honeymoon. And that kind of thing, I think books have stories that have nothing to do with the story in the book. Well, on my shelf. That's where that all came from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm sure in the future I'll probably have a stab at it, but I'm just not ready. I spend all day in front of the screen. Well, that's fair enough. But it's, I, think, uh, I think it's not quite as bad as you um, perhaps imagine it to be. It's really just words. No, but it's a screen of words, isn't it? And I think I still want to go into a different world, which, you know, my entire day job sits involves reading and writing words on a screen it's the aesthetic experience that you are clinging to i suspect which is fine I, it's I, the immersive experience of it yes i know but this is the bit that i think that you don't fully realize until you actually get into a good book and you completely forget what it is that you're reading it on oh yeah yeah that that could be that could be the case but in, you know if if one of these e-readers comes out with a, a book smell app that makes it smell like a book I see. I'd be interested. I see. Ooh. You're a you're a page sniffer. <laughs> How dare you? Yes, I am. Can I change the subject just quickly? Um, yeah, you've done it. Go for Thank it. Thank you. Um, I've got myself in a bit of a pickle because I have prepared a cup of tea to drink and sat down to record the podcast, and now I'm sitting holding the cup of tea and not moving because I fear that it will make noise. I just would like to clear. Is it all right if I just take the odd sip every now and then? Everybody. I, well, let's just have a sip and I'll assess. I don't think that's all right. <laughs> oh, I can't even swallow. No, I won't do it like that. I will do this properly this time. See if you can hear this. Did you hear that? I think we heard it going down your gullet towards the end there. <laughs> believe it now i'm gonna to have to sit and look at this cup of tea for the rest of the entire podcast well without wanting to bore everyone more than they already are bored with this particular 10, hey! minutes, 10 minutes no not no not not specifically the tea sipping but just the whole the first 10 minutes of the show oh, the whole thing about my 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 um my book preferences as well okay fine carry no, on no it's not all your fault um <laughs> but 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 just so you know we should probably cover this in more detail off air but there is a mute button right in front of you on on your microphone And uh, if you press what, that... The, the massive mute button with the massive red light on it. That's the one. So if you ever feel like you need to take a sip of tea or if you need to do a big cough or if you need to practice the listeners' okay, questions... windy pops like you you do occasionally. Windy pops? I mean, there's been a lot more muted windy pops than there has been unmuted windy pops. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I think we're all very grateful to you for that. So going back to the um, Fire Phone... The Fire Phone, so the most... I like that function, sorry, just to, to butt in there, but that you were saying, I mean, it sounds cool that if you just want to go off and, and um, go to the toilet, for example, and take it with you, then you can just put it onto audio instead of reading it. Uh, it's an interesting example, but yes, you could do that. And um, I just don't know, uh, perhaps I should do some research, but I don't know if, um, if, if you switch to kind of the official audiobook or whether you just get some kind of voice generator type thing who kind of does a assesses what they think the text is and reads it in a kind of robotic accent Stephen Hawking type indeed reading. yes mm. well it'd be interesting to try it out will you ever try it out or I mean uh, you know, obviously not going to go and buy that are you uh, probably not because they're not that much cheaper but the, the, this, the, the second part of, of uh, the second feature that is much more related to what we've been talking about in the past in terms of independent bookshops and the demise thereof um, is this feature called Firefly on the new Amazon Fire Phone, which allows you to, and I don't think this is particularly new technology, but because it's Amazon, it's all everything Amazon. 
So the technology allows you to get your Fire Phone out and point it at pretty much any object, more or less, that has a price, and it will take you to the Amazon store where you can buy said object. So, put yourself in a bookshop. You're having a look around. You're enjoying the smell. You're probably in a corner somewhere with your face wrapped around the internals of some paperback. Yeah. And you think, well, well, this looks nice. This is uh, Ian Brumace for Angelica. I've heard him talking about this. He's very enthusiastic about it and positive. Um, and it's, what, it's seven ninety nine. Hang on a minute. Let me just uh, get out my Fire Phone. Oh, look, it's £5 on Amazon. Let's uh, buy it there instead. Yeah. And as you, so we can we can start ordering books from Amazon inside bookshops. Well, I'm yep, sure plenty. Just, that's been done before. You just press a couple of buttons, sort of stroll out the shop, and uh, and watch a real fire take place inside as all the books combust because they're there forever. Do you know any bookshops that have ever had that price match guarantee where they say if you find it cheaper somewhere else, we'll, we'll match the price? They'd be they go out of business quicker than they are going out of business anyway, wouldn't they? Well, exactly. They can't do that. That's why... 25p. Oh, God, all right. We'll give it to you for 25p. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon Marketplace for that. Exactly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Amazon phone. So uh, what's your article about? Um, well, I was uh, interested um, to explore the new American Poet Laureate, Charles Wright, a little bit, just because I... I think it's amazing that there are poets out there that have over 20 collections published I've never even heard of at all. I'd like you to explain who he is. I'm not brilliant with my poetry um, in terms of knowing who all the main players are, but I, I think he's probably someone who I should know about and don't. So, talk Well, I don't know that, though. This is, this is the whole point about the, about the Poet Laureateship that... Um, well, one of the points, actually, about it is that, you know, for me, I enjoy it because it tends to highlight poets that I might not personally have chosen to to read but that other people think are worthy of a, of a lot and of a read um so I like I say never heard of Charles Wright Andrew Motion he was um I can't remember how long ago he was the poet laureate in the UK but I still have read very little of his stuff just because he was the poet laureate doesn't mean I've gone out to buy his his stuff have you ever read any of Andrew Motion's stuff um I've read a particular poem of his a number of times because it's um, it's um, etched or sculptured um, or, I don't know, placed on the side of um, Sheffield Hamlin University. So you get off the train station in Sheffield and you're faced with a giant sort of 50-foot-high Andrew Motion poem. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, and I guess Caroline Duffy's the same the same situation. I, I've read a few of her poems, but I... I don't specifically go to her work because she's the Poet Laureate. But on the other side of the Atlantic, I do enjoy the fact that the the Poet Laureateship over in America might highlight poets I'd not really heard of before. So anyway, I've just started to to look at Charles Wright and his work because, as I said, 24 published collections. That's a lot. Um, And, you know, he's he appears to have changed his, his style many, many times. The article that I ended up reading was actually an article which was written by Patrick Pritchett, um, an American, um, who uh, who was extremely critical of the whole concept of a poet laureate and why on earth do we have them? And I think the whole basis for his article was basically the fact that you know creativity, poetry, you need to be free from restraint, and the whole concept of this position that's been created to a higher purpose and to serve a purpose for the nation or for whoever it is you know are basically going to restrain your creativity to the point or even if it doesn't appear that it's doing that you can't be writing your best poetry because of that so why have it which i thought was quite interesting it is i listened to um the guardian books podcast which i highly recommend and there was an episode where they got the Poet Laureate of... Um, well, Caroline Duffy is the Poet Laureate for the Britain and the UK, or whatever it is, isn't he? So mm-hmm. the, the Queen-appointed type thing. But mm-hmm. I think there are specific laureates for Wales and Scotland too. Um, ah. yeah. And I have forgotten who they are, but there was a podcast with the three of them, and they were talking about exactly this, and whether that, that kind of that role, that responsibility of being the nation's poet for a, a period of time... 
um, whether that does affect what they do. And they were talking about the responsibility they felt or, or didn't feel um, was the general gist, actually. It was more that they didn't feel like there was a responsibility to change what they wrote, more that they had to um, be ambassadors for poetry as a whole. And I don't know if you feel a bit like that with this podcast, actually. It's worth asking. You're our resident poet laureate for the Right Feel Life podcast. Oh, thank you. Just re- like a badge. Newly appointed. Um, and uh, because poetry is not as widely read as, for example, novels, mm. and because of the challenge of, uh, of you know, the internet and sort of quicker reads or that and that type of thing, do you feel a responsibility as a poet in general to represent poetry and reflect the poetry world in a positive kind of way? Uh, yes, and I would say also in... Like, you know, I often encounter online or in other places, you know, people who are extremely abstract with the way that they approach poetry and discuss poetry and the way that they write poetry as well. And I think that that can sometimes go against poetry. It it can be very difficult for people to access it. So I guess also it's just about, you know, talking about poetry like a normal person, because that's that's what people who read poetry that's who they are and people who write poetry let's be honest it's Even true if you're the laureate you're just a normal person um so so yeah but it, i mean i think when if somebody like caroline duffy says that she doesn't feel responsibility or pressure to write something that's fair enough but she she does have have she does have it not necessarily pressure but there are some subconscious restraints i'm pretty sure that she not necessarily realizes are affecting her writing there must be you know you would i agree i think that there has to be some effects if you if you're if you've kind of you know in that kind of appointed position but Mm. um i like the idea of talking about writing as a normal person perhaps this is what we're going to come on to now in terms of talking about um, not necessarily being self-deprecating, but about confidence and the way that you talk about your work. One of the I listen to other podcasts about writing, and I read other blogs, and it's it's a lot of people. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there giving advice. Now that, I'm having none of that. <laughs> mm. um, I used to kind of think that that was important. I used to feel like um, I wanted to, and we've covered this before a little bit, but that that, um, that every episode of the podcast had to be about a certain thing and I had to give people very structured advice this is how you do this or this is how you do that um, and the show this show has developed in a way I think where especially now that me and you are doing this on a regular basis it was more difficult to not do that really when um, um, I was interviewing other people all the time because obviously you end up talking about whatever subjects they are experts in or, or whatever mm. subject they write about but I think we've the podcast has evolved because we've been able to kind of um, develop and sort of our have sort of fairly normal conversations, probably conversations that we would have in real life. We just sort of transfer them onto the podcast. But part of that responsibility, I think, is to, for me, is that I want to, I don't want this just to be about advice. This is what you need to do as an author. It's more mm. about here are two people who are who both had both you know both very still very wet behind the, behind the ears in terms of the publishing journey but we've both had our first books out and and I want to show that we are just normal people who happen to have had books published and that we're making our way in the world as much as um someone who's just starting out or who is unpublished or whatever it might be and mm. so I have that responsibility I that I I think that um in, in terms of being someone who's I don't know putting work out there in in somewhere or another, and and but it does uh, uh, sometimes sometimes it does kind of affect what you want to say and what you do. So I imagine that the poet laureate has the same. But I think I might have just compared me and you to the poet laureate. Well, you don't even need to do that because I'm officially the right for your life poet laureate. Well, I'd already forgotten. <laughs> um, I know what you mean though, and kind of demystifying the whole process of it. You can't help it. Like when you start out writing, you kind of imagine, oh, further down the line, how it, you're a different type of person once you've had things published. And when you're actually on that ladder climbing up and there's different things happening, you're just looking back thinking, I, you know, I, 
I still have the same concerns, the same anxieties and the same, you know, excitement or drive that I had before. I I don't know, I guess after after 50 books it's different. But yes. right now we are we are quite similar stages although you were published a year before I I was in terms of the fact that <clears throat> I think you 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 are still feeling your way out when you haven't even you know tried to do your second piece of serious writing or seen it through to fruition yet. Yes, and I was listening to the Creative Pen podcast um on, in the car on the way to work earlier today. In fact, and it was from three or four weeks ago. It was an interview with Jane Friedman, who talks an awful lot about self-publishing and and the business side of self-publishing. That's what this episode particularly was about. And um, and I can't remember the exact sort of phrase, but she was basically saying how the most disappointed people or most disappointed authors that she comes across are always people who've just had their first book come out because yeah. there's a sense of. Of, of I guess there's this huge build-up of excitement, and then there's a sense of, oh right, is that it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what when you when you introduce this topic and you said we're going to talk in general about, you know, are are we more self-deprecating than we need to be, or more than other people, other people from different countries, whatever it might be? Um, I was just thinking in my head, ah, and but yes, I think it might just be the stage of our writing careers that we're at. Well, shall I read the series of tweets that led us to this conversation? Do it. And a word of warning to everyone, it does involve compliments for me. <laughs> but I'm going to read them because this is about confidence. This is about feeling you good. You go for it. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Go on. I'm, I'm going to. Um, so this is a series of tweets from um, um, on, on Twitter by at the nose best, uh, Henrik, um, who I know has read my book and um, he read it not long after it came out and he's, you know, f- sort of been aware of him on twitter and he's followed me for for a couple of years etc um he says i think ace for angelica that's my novel merits some mentions amongst the novels with great endings just as it does those with great openings now i'm not one to say but you know um and he says i think it's more a function of our time with an abundance of mediocre literature that it isn't widely considered so I know that there are other factors involved. <laughs> but um, he says, it's not the best of the 30 or so novels I've read. All right, chill out. <laughs> Only for that. Just I was just in a good mood. Uh, it's quite a lot, actually, isn't it? Like, if you had to immediately name 30 novels, it would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I, I, appreciate, the, I appreciate the compliment very much and, and, uh, and, the, and the fact this led to a topic. But I think if I was trying to pay someone a compliment, but I wanted to just kind of temper it slightly, I might say, you know, it's not the it's not the best novel I've ever read. I wouldn't say it's not one of the best 30 novels I've ever read. <laughs> I know, I think that's I, great. I take it with good grace. I'm sure it wasn't meant to be as unpleasant as it felt at the time. Um, <laughs> it's just re- it's reality. It is reality. It's, a, it's exactly. a hard, realistic comment of praise in your face. It's a, it's a backhanded compliment to that particular episode of these tweets anyway i'm not a literary professor or reviewer or anything of the sort but i've read a few books presumably more than 30 and yours is one of the better here we go it's in the top 32 hopefully (laughs) um and i don't say that just because you're awesome now this is more like it it really is (laughs) it really is a beautiful composition i mean that's just this is this is much more like it um anyway this is the key tweet i kind of didn't have to say all that but we've got we've got to this point anyway um i'm saying this because it sounds like and he says this meaning when he listens to the podcast. I'm saying this because it sounds like you appreciate the fact that it got published more than the work itself, which I find sad with an un- uns- with a sad face. An um, unsmiley face, you're about to say. I was going to say an unsmiley face. <laughs> um, I realise this may be a result of your modest British self-deprecation and seemingly indefinite humility. And then I had a brief conversation with him where I said, blimey, I didn't realise I was coming across quite like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and I thought this was a, a, an interesting thing because you would you would expect like I talked even before I was published. I talked on the blog. I wrote about it, uh, and and it's I think it's widely accepted that there are there is a type of writer, published or unpublished, who appears to be quite arrogant and has very little humility, and people quite you know people brag about their writing before they've even really got anything to brag about, and that happens all the time, and it's really. It, frustrating um, I've, not, I've not actually met that many of them though i know that they do exist 
They definitely it, exist. I've met lots of them in real life and, <laughs> and on the internet. Well, they actually say my book's amazing, and, yeah, but mean it like yes, I'm and yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, and just uh, but it mainly comes out when they when they are offered criticism and they just completely dismiss any kind of feedback. Criticism isn't even the right word. Any sort of feedback is you know they know best. There's that type of writer. Hmm. Um, so I'm conscious of not wanting to come across in that way. Anyway, I want to start by asking you whether what you think about what you really think about your work. So let's cover us first, and then let's talk about it more widely. So, do you feel like you are self-deprecating? I don't think you are. I've not really heard you be that self-deprecating. Ah, but, but you, you haven't heard me be massively exuberant, have you? In general, no, and I no, I, I haven't. I'm restrained. I'd like to think I'm restrained. You are. You it. are restrained. But what do you, what do you really think about? Your work, because, and I, I before you answer, I think that this is a really important question. Actually, now I think about it, now that we've been prompted to think about it, I think mm. it's a really important question for writers at every single stage is to stop and think: What do I really think about my work in an in as an objective way as possible? Right. Well, um, I will start out by saying that I think, in general, my personality and it might be cultural, it might be my family, the way I was raised, whatever. I I can get extremely uncomfortable around a lot of compliments. <laughs> I should just say that straight out. Um, I don't know whether you have, uh, feel that way, but if, if, if I'm in a situation where a lot of people are complimenting me about something, say, for example, like at my at my book launch, that was it was lovely. But I, I almost have like a, a kind of limit where I'm like, okay, well, I can't, I can't actually take anymore. I feel like one of those... Um, Austin Power Fembots, you know, which is just if I hear any, another bit of, of praise about me, then I might kind of start shaking and explode. It's, it's very strange. I think I, I wonder whether it's cultural. We don't like to, to draw too much attention to ourselves, I think. That might be absolutely ridiculous generalisation. As in it's very British to kind of go, just sort of go, oh, yeah, well, thank you. Oh, thank you. And, I, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I think that, you know, it's funny, but I, I see online, like, you know, that I, I feel sometimes like people who are involved in the American poetry scene can come across as a lot more confident than other people or other well, people in other places. Like, for example, in the Irish poetry scene, I just feel like everybody has so much stronger opinions in America about poetry. And that just might be um, my own preconception I'm taking into it. But that's the way I feel about it. I, I do wonder whether there's a cultural reason for for me not being able to uh, to take too many compliments. Anyway, that being said, um, I've not had to take that many compliments because the reality is that, you know, hardly anyone reads poetry books. So um, I, I am very realistic about the situation I'm in. I am extremely proud about the fact that I had my book published. I love it. I do. I think it's probably quite easy to see that it's my first book and that I am still learning you know the craft of poetry the history of poetry um, and that's a really exciting journey but I still think that it's it's a valuable piece of literature that I've added to the world um, but I think that I always base my opinion of what I'm doing on the fact that it's part of so much of a bigger picture and and you know the history thousands of years of writing that I don't think I would ever be able to sit there and go, oh my God, my book is just amazing. So that was my answer. Did that answer your question? I think that's a very honest answer. Uh, I, yes. I've, had, I've had very nice feedback about my book, I would like to say. I've had, I had a really fantastic, I've had three fantastic reviews in newspapers where it was published, which I loved. Um, and in general, I, I think the most important thing to me is that people that read my book seem to enjoy it and that is that's great and it's made me want to write another book but then I also you know I'm at that stage we talked about earlier where I've had my first book published it's not sold very many copies because of the type of book it is and because of you know many other factors and so the reality is okay I'm I'm, I'm starting again now and I'm almost feel like I'm starting from scratch yes I think that's a really good point. And I think, I, I wonder if um, there is, whether this comes a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier, when we talked about the fact that we are just 
ordinary people and the fact that um uh, once your book is published there is an element of of oh is that it that's not to complain or put anyone off in the in the least having my book published was amazing one of the you know just such a huge achievement and something i'm really proud of and the whole experience was fantastic but it doesn't take long before you kind of realize that you know that was it and um and the reality is for and this is for us too so maybe maybe we are producing um a self-deprecating podcast because um of our situations which we've both talked about so you know, i had uh, my book came out 3 weeks later i had twins you had a baby and your book came out at a very similar sort of time and our lives just haven't been writing has been really important to us still and always will be i think but it just hasn't been able to be the central point in our lives like it was perhaps certainly in the build up to in the writing but also in the build up to it being published and something i missed i think in in my process which may have affected the way i speak about my book as well is the that time when you can enjoy going and doing readings of your book with people who are interested in it, with people who've talked about it, people that you want to share it with in a professional sense. Because I moved away from Ireland where my book was being published and that was where it was being published. That was where people knew my writing and that's where all the readings were happening that I was, you know, would potentially have taken part in. And I think that, I think that that, that really, yeah, was a shame. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I really enjoy living here, but I can definitely see that I've missed out. I think I, I missed some closure for this book um, with um, with performing it and, I and think, getting feedback from people. And I think this is why you say that you it, it feels like starting again because you've got to do the second one. And it and and although that we although there, there is you know it is true that there is once you've had a book published, you are perhaps a little more likely to have the second one published. There isn't any guarantees whatsoever. You still have to, uh, you know, write another good book and and hopefully you know sell it. You do have to go through a very similar sort of process, but mm-hmm. it's about it's it's your confidence levels. So this is where I, I want to kind of open the conversation up slightly, and rather just be about us, uh, not to be self-deprecating. Um, mm. But um, it's you, your your confidence is just is this is part of you? You know, you're an ordinary person. Your confidence changes. And it goes up and it goes down. And I know for a fact that I'm I'm really excited about my second novel. And actually, to sort of answer the same question myself, I'm really, really proud of the first novel. I think Ace for Angelica, with a bit of objectivity now, is good. I don't think it's going to be the best book I've ever written. I hope to get better. But mm. I, I'm really confident that, I, uh, that if I sat and read it now, although I would pick out loads of sentences, I'm sure, that I would like to reorder or edit or whatever it might be, I'm I'm, I feel really comfortable that that book is is I'm happy with it. I think it's I think it's all right. It's not in my top thirty books I've ever written, but it is. Hmm. You know, I'm happy with it. You know, I'm proud of it. So yeah. the idea that I've that it's that I've given the impression on here, even just to one person, that um, that I'm just happy that it's published, as opposed to you know appreciating the fact that you know it's a work of of art in some way um you know is is bad that's not what that's not the vibe i want to give off in any way whatsoever especially you know because there's an element of doing this podcast which is about promoting the damn thing so you know (laughs) that's not the impression i want to give but the point is that as a writer no matter what process you're going through no matter what stage you're at your confidence will go up and down all the time and you know i was feeling really confident when the book first came out and the first reviews came in and people seemed to like it but you know not long after i thought you know is this it because the reviews inevitably dry up and you know i uh, personally i just you know had children as well and uh, as r- r- long-time listeners will know i also was made redundant in the same month so i just my life was completely turned upside down and my book became by far the less you know one of the least important things not one of the least but it would definitely wasn't top of the list and so you know life the all the stuff around your writing really affects the way that you feel about your writing and to me i also feel very much like i'm starting starting again or like i have been starting again as i've been writing this second novel and i think no matter where you are at with your writing there are going to be times where you hate what you do and there are going to be times when you love what you do it's just the nature of writing and i think that's one of its kind of most um um enticing kind of um you know 
it's one of the reasons we all do it is because of the the highs and the lows because if you don't have the lows the highs don't feel quite so high and all that kind of thing so sort of to answer Henrik's question is um a i'm not happy that i come across like i'm just appreciate the fact that i'm getting published because i think i've written a good book that deserves to get published but more that perhaps me like maybe all writers maybe i need to try and find more of a balance with how i think and talk about my writing or just um, kind of all the all the bits that go with writing like trying to find the time to do it and you know all the other kinds of things maybe it is about not thinking well, this is brilliant or this is rubbish, but actually trying to find some some kind of level that I stay at, <laughs> some kind of balance where, uh, and, and perhaps be more aware, perhaps be more aware about how I'm talking about my writing. Um, and perhaps that's what we all need to do. So if you're like a, and it's a bit like wording a cover letter, I'm going, I'm tangenting slightly here, but a bit like when you write a cover letter, I've I've heard of people and uh, who write cover letters when they approach agents who will put in something negative about their book, almost you know in a kind of you know I'll get better or maybe if you work with me I can sort the ending out that type of thing. Yeah, you can't do that. You need to have a level of confidence and you need to show that you're confident, which isn't there's a difference between arrogance and confidence as we all know. But you need to be be bold and confident in your work pretty much at all times, even when you feel terrible about it. Um, yes, go on. I'm talking, 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 talking. <laughs> yeah. I, I just suddenly thought for a moment there that, um, th- that, uh, Henrik had only been talking to you about the fact that, um, that you were self-deprecating, but then I, and I thought maybe actually, oh, maybe, I, maybe I haven't been that self-deprecating, but then I see that he did actually. I'm afraid that you didn't even make his top 50. <laughs> well, hang on. This before we finish this topic, maybe that's another thing to say. Maybe this is a recent thing. Maybe it's because me and you are um uh, we know each other in real life. We're related. We spend Christmas together most years. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe it's because me and you are find it difficult to pay each other compliments. Maybe maybe we are egging like that joke there I just made. I would make that joke 50 times out of 50 in real life with you and you would do the same with me and maybe that's maybe our relationship in terms of uh, of how we talk about our books maybe that's being impressed on the way we talk about our own work in some way maybe maybe yes, we need because to because it's true it's true actually i don't talk about my book in the same way with you uh, with other people as i do with you but also because we we both do the same line of work now as well so it is very strange that we are that yeah we have uh, an interesting perspective with regards to each other on this whole situation and this whole subject. It's true, but it's an, I think it's an interesting thing. I'm glad that, um, I hope that what didn't seem a bit too kind of self-obsessed, which is, you know, it's a criticism that's been levelled at this podcast before. You see, you do not, ha- you shouldn't have to say that. Don't worry about it. This is, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you just finished off with that. Sorry, everybody, if this was absolutely awful to listen to. We're just going off on one. I think it will. Uh, let me refer to, uh, let me, uh, let's close this for the second time. By <laughs> gotcha. the other thing Try that, again. The other thing that crossed my mind is, um, and I'm assuming this person won't still be listening and definitely won't have got to the end of this podcast, but some people will know that um, I had what I would still describe as a kind of troll character on the internet who was wrote some fairly unpleasant things about me personally in what was supposed to be a, a review of my book, which I'm, which was eventually taken down from the website it was on. But one of the comments was that this podcast was really self-obsessed. Or that I know that I sorry that I personally was was self-obsessed and I should focus more on my um, I don't know writing a book than I should should this. But but I and and as you know, it, it, I didn't talk about it online because I just didn't want to mention it at all. I just wanted that person to stop and go away. But it really affected me in real life because it went on for a couple of weeks, and and I didn't. I knew that it was kind of nonsense, and I listened to back to some episodes and thought, when have I, when has where have they got that from? Um, mm. And um, and and but I I have been conscious of it since, and I do wonder perhaps if if that kind of really and I've to, you know this again to link it back to writing in general if you can get if you get really bad feedback about something about your writing it can put you off for months even years maybe even forever and I've seen it happen to other people and it's happened to me with my writing before where a piece of feedback was so 
unnecessary and so so sort of difficult to take that um, that it, it kind of affects you in in a much wider way. So maybe there's an element of that involved as well. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But we I'm should sure all there is. we should all try and uh, achieve some kind of balance and try and try and stay confident about your writing at all times, which is really difficult to do. Did you ever feel I'm just confessions now um, that you were you ever waiting like and worried seriously worried about a bad review coming in? Um, and did that affect the way that you talked about your book back back when it was first published? It didn't. No, not really. It didn't talk. It didn't. It didn't. Um, I was never. I was. Oh, yeah. Always worried about uh, bad reviews. Potentially, at first, I was worried that there were going to be lots of them. So, just not knowing how the book would go down. Exactly. Was, yeah. It's the fear a, of the unknown, right? A fear of the unknown. The first couple of bad reviews, which were all on Goodreads. None of them. Amazon is three stars and above so far thankfully which i'm very grateful for uh, but there were a couple of bad reviews on on amazon on sorry on goodreads which i've talked about before and i read them and just thought oh come on you know you've you, why were you even reading my book it's clear that you weren't going to enjoy it i've said this before but one of them was a one-star review that said that it was the most depressing book they'd ever read and i looked at their history and the book that they read before that was called slummy mummy so you know which is fine i'm sure slummy mummy is a tremendous piece of fiction not to discredit that in any way whatsoever but it was definitely not in the same vein as my book so you kind of think if you know why is that person not just given up after a couple of pages and just left it but you know um, what the author of slummy mummy could be listening to this and that what you've just said there could have affected them so much (laughs) that they stop writing their 16th book or whatever money books they're in well i can point them to a four-star review that they will particularly enjoy (laughs) No, because I, I've just realised that I was at the start. I mean, this whole thing about how you talk about your, your work, if it's your first book that you're writing, it's an exciting part of it is seeing how the world will receive it. Um, and I feel that like you have this own idea about what your book is about, but you only really find out what your own book is about when other people have told you what it's about <laughs> and what, you're, what kind of writer you are and what you're about. And, um, Absolutely, and that was really interesting getting the, the the reviews for that. And again, that goes for every single part of the process. This is not just once you've had a book published. Like getting feedback from people. This is why you get feedback when you're writing uh, when you're writing anything. You get feedback for this reason, so that you can understand your work better, and you, it's not just your opinion on what you think you've written, but also it's it's so that you, that's why you also choose who you give your your manuscript to, so that the feedback comes from a trusted source who knows what they're doing. I mean, it's all very basic stuff, but it's it's all kind of intertwined in one way. All of these things feel really intertwined. The idea of confidence, feedback, talking about your work in a kind of positive way without, or without sounding like a jerk. It's all, it's all kind of melded together. It's very difficult. And who you are as a writer will change a lot, I'm sure, as you go through through life and through the process. This, As we were talking about the, the poet laureate, uh, the American poet laureate earlier, Charles Wright, fascinating to read that he's written so many different styles of books and this article that i had briefly mentioned about that was quite critical of the whole idea of the poet laureateship um on a website called writing the messianic which will be in the show notes where would Uh, i find those show notes hang on a minute because i forget what i was going to say just then it's really important that we know where we find those show notes though but you see now i've already forgot what i was going to say oh anyway you'll find the show notes at five by five dot tv slash wfyl slash one one six correct correct and pretty efficient i think you meant to say very good what were you going to say um i was actually going to say that just in kind of critiquing the whole idea of, of a poet laureate um this this writer patrick pritchett who himself is a a poet um, was talking about the fact that some of some of Wright's books were not very good, and and he went through a phase of not being very good and things like that. And you just think, wow! I mean, you know, you've got twenty four books out there. You've been writing for like forty years or whatever, um, and you were a different poet through all that time. You were a different writer through all of that time, and the way that people responded to you would have been different every time. It's um, it's also so fluid, isn't it? It is. It is. Do you know what isn't fluid? Stone. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I was going to say time. It's a fairly fixed thing and we're running out of it. I would say time is quite fluid, actually. But anyway, yeah. So uh, are we ready for our listener's question? Yes, we are. 
Fantastic. Do you have it or shall I present the listener's question? I think it would be for the best if you presented it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, so this week on Twitter, um, I was asked by Cams Campbell at Camuel. Camuel. Like Samuel, I guess, but with a C. Um, about whether I had ever considered writing songs or if I'd ever written songs um, and whether I consider there to be a difference between song lyrics and poetry. And he said he asks because he seems to relate to song lyrics more easily than he does to poetry. But when he hears poetry read aloud, it's different. Um, and I saw that in the, in the whole uh, conversation there on Twitter that you mentioned that this is something you've talked about many, many moons ago in episode 19 of the Right for Your Life podcast, I believe, which will also be in the show notes, I'm sure. I did. I talked to, it will be, and I did. I talked to um, Joe Rose, who is the lead singer and primary songwriter and musician for um, the band Native and the Name, who provide the theme music to this very podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, listening back to that podcast was very interesting as well um, to get Joe's take on it. Um, obviously, it's, it's extremely difficult to differentiate sometimes between song lyrics and poetry. I once did a, a creative writing course with um, a whole room full of poets and one songwriter. Um, and it was very interesting, actually, to have her there. And, and the kind of questions that she asked were that, you know, she I think she had a slightly different take on things, but still with a very much the same desire to create a feel and a story and a poem. I don't know whether that makes sense. Anyway, um, I really couldn't write song lyrics, I don't think. But that's only because I don't write music. But I, I, I'm... And another reason, I think, is that I, I really, really respect amazing lyricists who are often poets, you know. I mean, obviously, we're talking about people like Bob Dylan, amongst others. Um, and I think there's a real difference between writing really poetic song lyrics and or writing poems that are very song-like. They don't need to be ballads specifically that were, like, intended to be sung, but, but ones that you could imagine being sung. A big difference between those things... And when people read poetry to music, which I personally can't abide <laughs> listening to. Like uh, Mike Myers in Soy Marilyn Axe Murderer. How does he do that? He goes, woman, whoa, man, whoa, man, <laughs> to a jazz beat. Well, this week I was listening to the, again, to the Poetry Please podcast, and it happened to be about poetry and music. So if you, if, if anybody wants to go and listen to a, a more serious exploration of the, the long history and the happy marriage of poetry and music, then they should uh, listen to Poetry Please this week. But there was a whole mixture of, of examples in there. Some of them were poets reading to uh, music. Some of them were, you know, poems that were ballads and meant to be sung. The ones that were read to music just reminded me. They just distract me so much. I think this is not how this was intended to be. And I feel like it's an experiment. Even if it, even if they, you know, the music doesn't interfere too much with the poetry. I think when you start to listen to something in the background, it distracts you from the, from the words. And also it gives it an entirely different feel. Have you ever heard poetry read to music? Yes, a number of times, and um, it's hit and miss, I think, to say the least. And it kind of depends. There are some, sometimes it can be just like backing music just to give it some kind of atmosphere. But then sometimes, of course, it's kind of a performance poet who plays guitar and the guitar is, or the instrument is kind of part of the act almost. It's part of the poem. It's like a like a second voice almost. Um, mm. And that's, you know, that can be fantastic. It can be, it can be poor, like, um, you know, like any poetry or prose or anything. But, um, I mean, the, the examples that Poetry Please had were obviously ones that, you know, Roger McGough, extremely respected poet and, and you know, put, puts, oh, I don't know whether he puts the programme together. But anyway, the examples they had were, people should listen to them because they're very interesting. One of them kind of had a, like a, doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, in the background. Woman. And, Whoa, man. <laughs> exactly. Whoa, um, man. And my brain was just thinking of cartoon cats walking along fences. And I was like, I, I've got no idea what's going on in this poem. 
I just I find it extremely difficult to differentiate. And actually, I've also I did a I organized I was involved in organizing a very big fundraiser, um, a, a poetry event. It was the biggest reading I've ever done. I think I can say that. Yeah, there was like 250 people there. It was in the National Gallery of Ireland and it was called Poems and Piano. And it was people reading poetry with a piano being played in the background. So that was one of the first readings I ever did. I, I had piano in the background and I was even when I was reading it, I was like, this is not necessarily how I'm wanting this poem to come across to this audience, but I had no control over it because of the music, you know? It's tricky. I mean, I, 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 I think we've talked about this slightly before because I've, I've told everyone that I used to be in a band where I used to write the lyrics. I was the singer. I was a bad singer. <laughs> and um, so I used to write all the lyrics and I was generally quite bad at it. I, was, <laughs> I just couldn't help putting stupid jokes in. I can think of two lines... That I was that that I quite liked. Would you like to hear them? Of course. I'm not going to sing. And actually, somebody else contacted me this week to say that they would um, they would like to to. I know. Actually, it was the same person said that we should read a poem on every episode because they enjoyed it. So you could should definitely read something you've written. It's just two lines, two different songs. There's a line from a song called "Let's Not Talk About It," which is the only line, and it was the jigsaw of my past only has three corner pieces. Hey, quite like that, <laughs> or, or, or I Still did. Let it soak in. I did. I did like that, um, and I was con- I, I was considering putting that in the new novel. Actually, I've wrote it, written oh, it down in my to. notebook. You've got to now for all the listeners on the podcast, and then you'll be able to tell them when it comes out. Indeed. See if you can find the uh, life three piece jigsaw sided puzzles. Indeed, and then there was another uh, another opening line, which was the convent was a quiet place. Till Mary dropped a plate and everyone applauded. Quite, <laughs> cool. I quite like that. Yeah, I could totally imagine it. It's like still, really rowdy uh, nuns. Exactly. What's this? Why on earth were you writing songs about rowdy nuns? Um, it's just a phase. <laughs> um, yes, well, we won't go into that, eh? No, I think best not. I've got a recording of that second song somewhere, like a demo, like a like a just like a microphone chucked in the back of the room. I think we. Had, I'm not even sure we had a bass player at the time. Uh, maybe I can find it and put it on SoundCloud and put it in the show notes. Who knows? <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, so to sum up about poetry and lyrics, oh, yes, what a long and wonderful, rich, joined history they have. Indeed. <laughs> but not. I'm not dabbling. No, not for me. Not for me. No. Right. Absolutely not. Let's Great. Put, let's put an end to this madness. Okie dokie. Well, if anyone would like to get in touch, they can do on Twitter at The Flying Poet. You can get in touch with me at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or you can email me if you want, ian at rightforyourlife.net. Um, and you can email Donna soon at rightforyourlife.net. So we're going to sort you out an email address. It's so exciting. Is it going to be, instead of Donna Sorensen, is it going to be Poet Laureate, Right um, For Your Life? It's a bit long, plus I don't know how to spell laureate. <laughs> Nobody does. Okay, well, great. Well, uh, I shall see you next week then. All right, ta-ta. <laughs>